We're going to the book of Joshua, and uh, I want to read the first three verses to you, and then I'm going to back up uh, into Deuteronomy and teach to you just a little bit before we move into the book of Joshua. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 1 and verse number 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. If you need 10 more minutes to turn there, just say, speak on, Pastor. Okay, you're all there, good. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun. What else was he? He was Moses' minister. Said to him, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said to Moses. I want you to just look with me very quickly, if you could. At first glance, you're going to pick up on something when the Lord speaks to Joshua for the very first time. There is pretty much a common thread in almost every sentence that he speaks to him, and it is something to do with Moses. And what the Lord is saying to Joshua is just because you're a new leader does not mean that you're a trailblazer. What I'm going to give you is the inheritance, the same thing that I promised to Moses. I'm going to give you the same thing that I said I would give to Moses. Verse number 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein. Day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then, thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and thou shalt have good success. Does anybody, can anybody give me tonight a very, very popular way that we refer to the Old Testament law? What do we call that? The law of who? It was the law of God, and he gave it to Moses, and we call it the law of Moses. And the Lord tells Joshua, I want you to lead the people. But the word that I gave the last generation is good enough for you. If it brought you here, it'll take you there. Hey, man, do you believe that? Turn to your neighbor tonight and tell him, if it brought you here, it'll take you there. You may be seated in Jesus' name. In the 34th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, there is a uh, kind of a bookend of legacy, somewhat, in the life of Moses. I wish I had time tonight to talk to you about the defining differences in the leadership 
of Moses and Joshua. In a lot of ways, it's almost unfair uh, because Moses and Joshua, in a lot of ways, they lead alike, and in a lot of ways, they're completely different. But Joshua was his own man, but not so much his own man in the fact that he blazed the trail of liberty and righteousness and law for the children of Israel. He was not the kind of leader that stepped to the forefront and said, this is the new direction that we're going. He was the kind of leader that grabbed on to the foundation that was laid by Moses, who was a prophet of God, an angel of God. He was a messenger of God. He led the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was his voice that walked into the throne of Pharaoh and emphatically declared, let my people go. Let my people go. But at the death of Moses, as that bookend kind of brings some things to a close, it's as though there is a new shining light that appears into the hearts of the children of Israel. But the deeper you read, the more you find out that actually there is so much similarity here that old Jewish scholars actually refer often to Moses' face as the shining of the sun and to Joshua as the shining of the moon. In other words, they kind of need each other. It was Joshua that brought a lot of balance to Moses, and Moses, oftentimes as a father in the Lord, that relationship was there that Joshua would honor him as a father, and Moses would somewhat speak to him as a son, but then in the very next breath may say to Joshua, you go pick us some men to fight. In other words, I'm the leader of the people, but God has given you wisdom, Joshua, so you go find us some good men to fight. And he would bring some balance to Joshua because Joshua had some zeal. And the scripture tells us on one occasion that there were two people who decided to stand up and prophesy. And they didn't run that prophetic word past Moses. And Joshua said, oh, I'll tell you what we need to do. He said, I think there needs to be some cursing that needs to be happening. You know, Joshua, was, he was ready to go. He just let me at them. Let me burn them up. Let me tell them there's nobody else that we need to prophesy but you, Moses. And Moses said, Joshua, I would that everybody in Israel would prophesy. He brought some balance to him. But God saw something in Joshua. There was a stickability to Joshua. That was not even there in Aaron, who was family to Moses, connected with Moses. But there was a God connection between Joshua and Moses. There are things that are not just going to come your way because you're related to somebody that has a relationship with God. Just because your brother was the leader of the people of Israel out of Egypt does not mean that you are the next appointed man to lead them into the wilderness. Now, does that mean that Aaron does not have a part? Absolutely not. He had his place. He had his position. It was the beginning of the priesthood. It was the ironic line that is still alive and well today. That Cohen bloodline has been 
protected. Brother Lang and I were just discussing this, I believe, over the weekend that to this very day, 4,000 years later, there is still a very pure bloodline of that Cohen ironic bloodline. But Joshua was the man that God had selected. And there were some things that, as I began to study, I wondered why it was Joshua. What was it about Joshua that made him the man that God wanted to lead the children of Israel? Folks, Moses brought him a mighty long way, and they're standing now at the edge of it. At the end of Deuteronomy 34, Moses gets to see the promise. In the 34th chapter, Moses is standing there looking into the promised land. And the Lord said, you can see it, but you can't possess it. You can't walk in it. It's not going to happen. But there is a man behind you. His name is Joshua. And the Bible said that Moses put his hands on Joshua. It was an anointing before the people that before Moses... Drew his feet up into the bed. He put his hands on another generation. And he said, Lord, let your will be done. If this is where your hands have rested, then this is where my hands will rest. And by the placing of my hands on Joshua, Lord, put your hands on him. And let's do this. Folks, I want to tell you what your pastor believes tonight. I believe that it is the will of the enemy. And I'm going to get pretty serious here pretty fast. I believe that it is the will of the enemy to make our older generation weak and feeble in their convictions, in their their want to, if you would, to stand up for truth. If he can make our old men weary, then when they put their hands on Joshua, he doesn't have to lead with the conviction that they used to lead with. I'm watching it happen all the time that young men are coming onto the scene and the older man is sitting back and saying, you know what, son, I probably preached it a little bit too hard. I probably preached some things that may not be necessary, so you just be led by the Lord. Am I I too strong here yet? Everybody okay? The Lord spoke through Moses. The Lord gave the law to Moses. But do you understand that when Moses came down from that mountain and he had the tablets of stone, do you realize that the only other human being alive to see the tablets of stone before they came to the people was not Aaron? It was Joshua. The thing that God wanted Joshua to see above all else was the laws of God. Oh, my, my. Moses comes down off the mountain and he sees the golden calf. And he takes the stone that God had inscribed with his finger, the laws of God. And he cast it to the side. I don't believe that this was some kind of light uh, stone that you would pick up like volcanic ash, like uh, volcano stone. I don't believe, I believe it was heavy stone. I believe it was a weighty matter. I believe it was, 
I believe it was heavy, heavy stone that God had hewn out of the side of that mountain and inscribed with his finger the laws of God on that. But do you understand that when frustration was felt in the life of their leader and he saw that they would rather love idolatry than the laws that God had given them, the very first reaction and response from the man of God was to cast the law aside. Why would I carry the weight of the law if the people do not care? Why would I carry all of this weight if they want to love idolatry? You hear this preacher when I tell you tonight that God has always needed men who were willing to carry the weight and carry the law regardless of how frustrated they became or who wanted it or who didn't want it or who wanted to be a part and who did not want to be a part. So the Lord said, you get back up there. We're going to do this law again. And when he comes down off the mountain, there's Joshua. And God lets Joshua take a look at the laws that matter. Why would God show him at an early age the importance of the law? Because we find out at the beginning of Joshua's ministry in leading and serving the children of Israel that the Lord says to Joshua, the law that I gave to Moses, don't you ever let it leave your mouth. Meditate on it every day and every night. Think about the law of God. Now, I'm going to jump up here for just a second and stand on a soapbox. And I want to tell you that I feel like we've got some work to do. I feel like as a movement sometimes we're quick to release ministry, to release people into pulpit ministries so that they can get some experience. Since we don't really have a good place for you to preach here and you can't preach here all the time, just go buy you a trailer or go hit the evangelistic field and go get you some experience. But I want to tell you something tonight, church. This is going to sound ugly, but I don't mean it ugly. But there are men today that are filling pulpits and preaching that are not preaching much more than just rhetoric. And I want to tell you why. It's because as a young man, when they desired the office of ministry, they had their eyes on the pulpit and not on the law. And we send people out into the field and we say, hey, go get you some experience preaching until the church opens up and you can finally become a pastor. It's like we have established this thing in life that you haven't become a minister until you can pastor. But I want to tell you something. You just listen to me and write it down. If you're not called to be a pastor, you better not try. You have got to be called to be a pastor. Because if you're not called to be a pastor and you jump into that role, you're going to get a a pastor chasing devil after you that you don't have a clue what in the world to do with it. I want to tell you what the best thing some guys could do that want to be pastors so bad. They could get right up close to Moses, and wherever the law goes, that's where they go. 
Everybody in the world is not called to be a pastor. But we need some Joshua's that before they ever step before the people, before they ever pass between the elders. He passed through the elders. They blessed him and they saw it. He passed through. You read it for yourself. He passes through all of the elders. And that's when they recognize that he is now the leader. But before that ever happened, the Lord said, don't you let that law get out of your mouth. Keep it in your mind. Keep it in your spirit. This is probably a pretty dangerous statement considering the fact that I know things can be misconstrued. But I want to tell you the reason why some people preach the same holiness, quote-unquote, messages all the time. They preach the same things over and over all the time is because that's all they know. And it's easier to get up and just preach what you know than it is to get in the law. When you can stand before a congregation and say, we need to cut off the Old Testament and just get rid of it and move on to this brand new covenant and move on. I want to tell you something. You're walking on some dangerous ground. Yes, we are absolutely a New Testament church. Yes, we have been bought by the blood of Jesus. Absolutely. I guarantee it 100%. But you hear me when I tell you tonight, church, family, we need to know this book. When Jesus Christ himself was tempted in the wilderness, he did not preach it, Satan. When Jesus Christ was tempted, he did not sing it, Satan. He did not dance at Satan. He didn't shout at Satan. He turned around and said, it is written. Whenever an attack from the pits of hell came, he had to stand on the word. I thank God to be a part of a movement that's alive and well and worships and claps and dances and shouts and all that's good and great. But I'm going to tell you right now, we can dance in the shallow end of the pool sometimes. It's not just the dancing and the shouting that we need to get excited about. It's something that needs to get within us. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law doth he meditate day and night got to get in the book it's incredible to me I have spent a lot of time over the last few months in conversation with some of the ministry of this church, discussing things that break my heart and that I feel like break the heart of God. When we have people that claim to be oneness Pentecostal preachers and cannot even explain to you how that Jesus Christ can be the living God yet be the Son of God. 
apostolic preachers that are afraid to step to the pulpit and quote John 3.16 because it says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why do I need to take time to learn that, Pastor, when we can dance and shout? Why, man? Let's just have good church. Brother Mike Bingham and I were talking. I'm telling on him right now. We were talking some time ago. And in his way, of course, Brother Bingham's a very wise man. Been around the block a few times. Travels a lot. Sees a lot of places. And he said to me, He said, dude, the preaching that I'm hearing these days, he said, I don't hear a lot of word preaching. He said, I hear like some Jesus stuff, but it's not like word preaching. I'm not trying to hurt nobody's feelings. But I do want to make you uncomfortable. We're a movement of people that we rely so much on the energy that feeds to us from our church services. It's like that's our plug-in station. That's where we come to get our batteries recharged. We come to the house of God and it's like, Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. I'm going to soak it up, soak it up, soak it up, soak it up, soak it up. But some of us here tonight, this is the first time all week you've read anything in Joshua chapter 1. We must understand that this cannot be. And I thank you for loving your pastor. I thank you for honoring me. You're sweet to me. You're more kind to me than I deserve sometimes. You give me compliments. That I don't deserve. I appreciate you loving my preaching. But this cannot be the only place that you're connecting with God. The Lord did not tell Joshua to meditate on Saturday and Wednesday. He said, don't ever let it leave your mouth. And meditated on it morning and evening. Day and night, wherever you go, whatever you do, you got to get the word in you. Now, I, 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 I really want this to come across tonight in the, in the spirit that I'm sending. So just stay with me right here. I want this to come across. Somebody said to me some time ago, they said, Pastor, I would read the Bible more, but I just don't understand it. That's study. That's, that's why we study. If, if you pick up a C.S. Lewis book or whatever you like, you can pick it up and read from the first chapter all the way to the end. And you get the story. But you cannot just pick the Bible up and start reading in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And just start reading and say, oh man, I've got it today. 
There's a lot of folks who read every day, and I, I think you should for the discipline of it, but they read every day and check off their deal in the, in, in the bread sheet, whatever, whatever program you use. But they don't have one thing retained that they read. I want you to shout a word out to me right now. Okay, I want everybody to shout this word with me right now. Context. Boy, that's the best preaching y'all have ever done. Do that one more time. Context. Why does context matter? Why is it so important? I think one of the most important scriptures that we could use for the power of context is probably one that's one of the most misunderstood, misquoted misinterpreted so let's just jump to it and deal with it and get our elbows dirty you ready the book of Matthew chapter 28 verse number 19 if context doesn't matter then why don't we just baptize however we want to brother Maines and some that have been involved in specific ministries here I know I took the Diaz with me one time too and they saw the baptism the way it went here in our county and they baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is Jesus Christ. Oh, well, they're, they're, getting, they're, 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 they're close enough, Pastor. No, they're not. Well, you're just hardcore like that. No, I'm not hardcore. I just believe if the book says it, that it's right. I believe it. Context matters, Okay. So some say Matthew 28, 19 is the proof of a triune Godhead that there are three distinct persons of a Godhead that are co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. And the proof is in the pudding in 28, 19. Somebody say context. Context matters. I was in debate with a gentleman one day, not... An unfriendly debate. We were just debating back and forth about some scripture. And I quoted some scripture to him. And he said, don't go any further than that right there. That's enough. And I said, well, I have to. He said, why? I said, because of context. He said, no, what that says is enough. I said, no, I need to go a little further for the context. He said, nope, it doesn't matter. That's what it said. I said, then if it don't matter, I'm going home and rebaptizing our whole church this weekend. He said, you can't do that. I said, why not? He said, you can. I said, Matthew 28, 19 says I can. He said, no, that, that's not right. I said, well, you're going to tell me the context matters? Does it matter or does it not? Co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal, three distinct persons. Matthew 28, 18, bump it up one scripture if you don't mind. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me. In heaven and in earth. Well, but, but Jesus, the son, was the earthly ministry. So he had the power in the earth. That's not what he said. He said he had the power in heaven. And he had the power in the earth. But we've just bumped our head on the first problem. If there are three distinct beings that are co-equal, co-existent, co-eternal... They cannot be co-equal and the Son have all power in heaven and in earth. 
So either Jesus is God or he just ticked the father off. Which brings us to a crazy question. Who is the father? Now this is worse than Jerry Springer. Because the angel of the Lord said, that which is conceived in you is of the Holy Ghost. So is the Spirit the Father, or is the Father the Father? Well, I bet y'all are waiting to hear Jeopardy music. This is the final Jeopardy round. Do, 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 do. Context matters. If you read 2818, 2819 is going to make a lot more sense. If all power in heaven and earth is given unto him, and he said to them to go baptize in the name, let's go back to that. Does anybody see an S anywhere in there baptizing them in the names? Why not? Come on, shout it loud. How many names are there? How do you know that? Because Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. Y'all preach to me. For there is none other name under heaven. Given among men, whereby we must. You can, you can be saved if you want to. Is that what it says? What do you mean I must be saved? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you, come on, shout it to me. Must. Does context matter? It absolutely matters. Context matters. Jesus is dealing with baptism. And so his disciples leave him. Become apostles. They begin to baptize. The very first time that baptism is dealt with, with salvation, is in the book of Acts, the second chapter. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Now, I've heard some people say, what shall we do to be saved? That is not in the scripture. Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were pricked in their hearts. They were asking, what shall we do? Because our hearts are pricked. They were asking, what shall we do? What pricked their hearts? This Jesus whom you crucified. God hath raised him up and made him both Lord and Come on now. When they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said, what should we do? I mean, what should we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent. I know. We, we preach this a whole lot now. Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. Peter wasn't preaching. Now, I, I mean, 
he was declaring the good news, but this, he didn't take a text and preach a sermon. He answered a question. They said, we've messed up. We've done some bad things. You pricked our hearts. Now what should we do? He said, repent. And be baptized. In the name. What? What? But I thought we could be baptized however we wanted to be. If you can find me one place. In the New Testament church that anybody was baptized any other way. Then in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. I'll change everything I believe. But nobody was ever anywhere in that New Testament baptized in a title of God. They were baptized in the name. The Father has a name. I said the Father has a name. The Son has a name. The Spirit has a name. How do you know that? 1 John 5 and 8. Let's go to 1 John 5 and 8. I love this. There are three that bear witness in the earth. The Spirit and the water and the blood. These three agree in one. Verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he testifieth of his Son. Go ahead. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Now let's back up to 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 7. You guys are awesome. Can we read this together? There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, Father, and the Word. What about the word? John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning. Come on, preach to me. The word was with God. The word. Well, I guess it could have been. I, I mean, I guess... The word, I guess Jesus could be, I don't know. I wrestle with it in my mind. Well, stop wrestling. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. We always like to skip from this straight down to verse 14. But let's just read through this. Is everybody okay? I know I'm not spitting to the 12th row, but we're going to be all right. Go ahead. Chapter, two, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
The light shineth into darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was, oh my God, he was in the world, and the world was made by him. Can you believe that? He was in the world. Does that sound anything like 1 Timothy 3 and 16 to you? In the world that he made. And the world knew him not. Go ahead. He came into his own. And his own received him not. But as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his. What? Does context matter or does it matter? Many as believe on his name. Go ahead. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And this is where we always like to jump to. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That word literally meaning to tabernacle. The word tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. There is a name. Does anybody know the name? Jesus. Pastor, why are you doing this? Because the Lord told Joshua, don't ever let the word depart from your mouth. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. I'm telling you, context matters. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Church family, listen to me. If you, if you want to be so open-minded, you better be careful. People are getting so open-minded, their brains are going to fall out. At some point, you got to quit trying to be a hero. And you got to quit trying to be some new smart kind of theologian. And you just got to get in the book, buy the book, believe the book, and settle it. Without controversy. Great is the mystery, godliness. Now, we're going to just break this down Gerber style and do this slow. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, I'm going to take you off real, real deep, okay? Y'all got your floaties on? There's a lot... There's a lot more to this scripture than meets the eye. I just want you to know that. When it says God was manifest in the flesh, I, I hope you're ready for this. 
better lick your pen and get it ready. God was made manifest in the flesh. You know what that means? He became visible. You could see him. God was made manifest in the flesh. Justified in the spirit. Seen of angels. Preaching to the Gentiles. Believed on in the world. And received up into glory. Now this isn't rocket science. God, who never stops being God, he's God everywhere, all the time, and never stops. He's God. He's still God. He's God in heaven. He's God on earth. He's God everywhere in between. He never stops being God. He has to see everything. He has to know everything. He never stops being God. But that God never stops being God, and he manifests himself and becomes visible. In the flesh. But he never stops being God. That's impossible. Jesus prayed to his father. Folks, God never stops being God. He's everywhere, omnipresent, all the time. Never stops. He's always God, all the time, everywhere. Never stops being God. God reveals himself to us in flesh. Teaches us submission by saying... Not my will, but thy will be done. But he never stops being God. Well, if Jesus was God, then he had to stop being God everywhere else. You don't understand. Just because the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in his body does not mean that God stops being God. Well, how can he do that? Because God does not have to divide himself to still be God. And what you need to know is that God is not going to find a second person to come do the job that he wanted to do. That's why he became a son so that he could redeem a son. Oh. He was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels. Preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto the first person. Is that what it says? Reconciling the world unto himself. You listen to this preacher when I tell you tonight. I don't ever want to get tired of understanding in the scripture who Jesus is. It should never be boring to us to have to explain to somebody how we know that Jesus is God. Pastor, how in the world did you get here? I got here because we've got to get some things settled in our hearts. It is not enough to just come to church and have good church. 
How do we know, Pastor? How do we know? Because you've walked through the New Testament. I understand that. But what you need to understand tonight is that when the Apostle Paul and Peter were teaching the Christ, they didn't have a New Testament. So how did they do it? Can we teach Christ from the Old Testament? I'm not going to go through as many as I did. But I'm, I'm telling you this because the law matters. Understand me when I tell you that the Bible said in the book of Acts they were teaching Christ from the law and the prophets. You understand the very law that Joshua meditated on was full of Christ? The tabernacle in the wilderness... Full of Christ. Uh, go as far as you want to go. Take it as far as you want to take it. Take it to the, take it to the, the, the talit. Take it to the zitzit. Take it to the, take it wherever you want to. The, the, the prayer shawl I'm talking about, they put on. You could take it anywhere you want it. He's on every page. He's in every chapter. In every book, Isaiah chapter 9, let's go, and verse 6, Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Can we teach Christ from the Old Testament? Absolutely. Let's go together. Unto us, a child is born. Quick question, was the child born yet? This is prophetic insight, messianic prophecy. A child is born, a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called. Let's break it down. Wonderful. Y'all are some of my favorite preachers. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, but his name shall be called the mighty God. So how are you saying then, Pastor, that the everlasting Father is the Son of God? The good news is I'm not saying it. The book says it. The book says that the everlasting Father loved his children so very much that he became one of us. And he took on the sin and the shame that he did not deserve. And he paid a debt that he did not owe. That's enough to make a dead man shout right there. You could be lost. You could have died in your sins. But while you were yet a sinner. uh, Y'all got me sidetracked. What I'm saying to you is if it brought us here, it'll take us there. We are not coming up with some new fangdangled doctrine because I want the world to think I'm smart. Quick question for you. How many lords are there? How many faiths? How many baptisms? How many gods? Is he father of all? Is he above all? Is he through all? Is he in you all? Does he have a name? What's his name? If it brought us here, 
Joshua, don't try to be cute. Don't try to be slick. If you're going to get these children into the promised land, you're going to do it by what Moses did. Don't be devising a new plan. Don't be coming up with a new way. Don't be praying to a new God. If it brought us here, Let's stand. Let's stand. Oh God, I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna finish. I was so excited too. I had so many good things right here. Thank you, Brother Diaz. He was ready for me to start preaching. That was my introduction. I don't know how to say this with enough passion. I don't know how to say this with enough excitement, with enough zeal. Listen, this was not, this was not deep. This was, this was as surface level as we can get. But there's not a soul in this room tonight that should not be able to explain. Even if you don't know how to say without looking where they're found. You should, there's not a soul in here that should not be able to explain why we baptize in the name. We are not going to grow an end time church by getting excited about good church. But we can't, we can't sincerely believe that Jesus is coming and that hell is real if we don't want to tell people how to be saved. There's a precious man in this church that I would never embarrass for any amount of money whatsoever. And he and I had a little Bible study one day. We had just met, and he asked me a question. He said, I went to a particular kind of church, and he said it was sort of similar. But he said, I think one of the differences, you guys baptized Jesus only. Is that right? I said, that is true. He said, tell me about it, and we talked about it. That gentleman has been baptized in Jesus' name. We cannot cannot be stumped and afraid to love people. That's how this happens. we got to love people, man. Put your arms around people. They don't care how smart you are, how much intelligence you have, how much revelation you have, until they just know you love, you're, you're an approachable person. They can talk to you. They can... They can love you. They can ask you a question and not get their head cut off. Because sometimes we go straight for the sword, man, and cut their head off. What do you mean you don't believe in Jesus' name baptism? I'm going to show you right now. No, you're going to run them off. But I'm going to stand boldly and proclaim to you tonight. You're going to get out a couple minutes early, but I'm going to stand and boldly proclaim some things to this congregation, and I want you to hear your pastor and hear me very well. I'm not saying this just because of what I taught tonight. I don't know how else to say this any stronger than what I'm going to say this to you right now, and I'm not sure that my vocabulary will adequately get this done. But there is not going to be a new revelation about the Godhead. I, 
I'm sorry. There's not, there's not going to be a new revelation. You're not, you're not going to be able to convince me that God had help in creation. That there was another person in creation with him. I was talking with Brother Stephen this week about a, a, a doctrine that's going on that now they do believe that Jesus existed in the creation account in the flesh and helped create. That's why he gets credit for creation and God gets credit for creation. That's scary. So let me say it as boldly as I can, okay? Are y'all with me? Everybody's with pastor. You're not too tired. Are you with me? If you have to leave the pages of this book to explain your doctrine, your doctrine is false. But pastor, we got to be more open-minded. There is more to that. I mean, there's some books out there you really need to get your hands on. Apparently, there's some books you need to get your hands off of. Because if those books contradict this book, they are not in line. I believe with all my heart that the reason that the Lord told Joshua to love the law, keep it in his mouth and meditate on it day and night is because he was sending a message very clear. What I gave Moses was enough to bring you here, and it's going to be enough to get you there. So I'm standing on the shoulders of great men tonight, on the shoulders of R.B. Bingham in this church, on Danny St. Clair in this church, and I'm saying, don't be expecting some kind of new doctrine in this church. not happening if you want to get to know somebody you got to talk to them if you want to get to know Jesus you're going to have to talk to him you're going to have to get in this book and let it talk to you amen everybody all right I didn't wear you out you're not exhausted pastor I don't have time to study start setting a timer when you turn the tv on When you go to bed and shut it off and look down and you've spent four hours, don't, don't tell me. Look up to him and say, I'm sorry that I didn't have time today. Uh, Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Thank you for this word that will never, ever pass away. When heaven and earth have passed away, your word will never pass.